happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 291. I just can't believe we are rounding the corner to 300 here. It's April 26, 2023. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Executive Director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School located on the beautiful University of Montana campus located in lovely Missoula, Montana, in beautiful western Montana. And at, joining me, as always, tonight from the East Coast, good evening, Dr. Wes Fryer. That has a different ring to it. Good evening, Jason. I'm glad to be joining you from Matthews, North Carolina, where we have somewhere around uh, six more weeks of school, I think. And it works out. We have a, a last week of what we call capstone, which isn't exactly classes. The kids are working with local nonprofits. And so cool. I think we've got about 13 or 14 more class meetings and things are just winding down quickly. But I am a I'm an innovations teacher at, uh, at Providence Day School. And uh, actually, I'll be be teaching some web design next year. Most likely we're uh, finalizing our course assignments, but and hopefully continuing with robotics and definitely continuing with, with media literacy and computer apps. And so, so let, me, let me ask this, Dr. Fryer. So it's interesting to hear that you might be doing web design next year and being that you are a bit of a WordPress guru, would you go down more that route? Would you go a Wix route? Would you do HTML coding? What would be your strategy there in teaching web design to kiddos? So I guess we need to start with with some basics. And so I'm going to start with some some HTML basics as far as, you know, the structure of the, uh, this is part of my summer activity, by the way, is going to be planning my curriculum and syllabus. Um, you know, ba- basic structure of, of, of pages with, you know, with headers and just some of the, the, the basic tags and things like that. But I think we'll do a little bit of Google Sites. Um, and then we're going to, I do want to go into WordPress. So I had worked with a local WordPress developer in Oklahoma that was trying to really get into the state and the um, uh, computer, well, whatever they called it. It was, um, it, it, you know, basically the curriculum for high school for, for all the web design stuff. And I, I'm going to contact them and see, you know, if they're still doing that because they were packaging things together where everybody could basically have their own C panel. And um, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Now this is middle school. This isn't high school, um, but it is sixth through eighth grade. So um, the current teacher of that class is, is having students right now, you know, create some projects for some, some different uh uh, entities and uh, some of those will be more basic with WYSIWYG, you know, Google Sites kind of stuff, and then some are getting a little fancier. But anyway, that's if anybody else has ideas about that. There's a variety, you know, of different online curricula. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that though, because I I have not ever formally taught uh, a web design class for students. I've just done professional development for teachers and. You know, I think been making web pages since the early, well, for for a long time, um, the, the the mid nineties, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Well, Wes, as much as I like to talk about web design curriculum with you, um, what is the EdTech Situation Room all about? Well, we're here to talk about the the week's technology news through an educational lens, and we've been talking a lot of AI lately. Uh, if anybody wants to go to edtechsr.com slash links, you can get our Google Doc, where we've got subtitles for security and privacy, social media tech correction, AI, which we've looked like have about over 20 articles there, copyright intellectual property. We have a lot of wars tonight, like war, culture war, and I added one, chip war, which I had not heard of before, but pretty good podcast uh, reference here. Google, Microsoft, Apple, and the Geek of the Week. And my suggestion tonight, Jason, would be maybe we can hit a few that we think would be a little faster, uh, and then maybe we'll dive into some. But I'm, I'm open to, to whatever direction you would like to go tonight. Well, um, here's the problem with AI. It's just... We haven't gotten to it lately, actually, have we? Because we've kind of done that, and then we didn't get to it till like the last yeah. few minutes. Well, let me start with an AI topic that's not an article, but I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, and, and I'll give you an example of this. Um, I'm going to share a tool later. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to share it right now because I have a, another Geek of the Week I'm going to share. I found a really amazing tool the other day, and it is called Eightify, E-I-G-H-T-I-F-Y. And it's not an exaggeration to say that there are now thousands of new AI tools that are showing up every single day. Um, um, and 
I'm noticing a couple patterns here. Uh, the first pattern is that none of these are running on advertising, right? At least not that I'm aware of. And they also don't seem to be utilizing our data other than to train the train the, the language models, right? And now that that's arguably you know a bad thing, right? They're using our data to train uh, uh, models, but it also means that a lot of these services are charging money for anything but the most basic of accounts. And if you look at uh, Adafy, and and actually let me tell you what Adafy does, because it's pretty sweet. Um, Adafy is a tool that is a YouTube summary tool uh, utilizing ChatGPT. And there's actually dozens of these, and, and several of them are free. Um, the, the free ones do things like it, it takes the YouTube transcript because, you know, YouTube um, either auto-generates um, closed caption uh, transcripts or if you, can, you can upload one if you want to modify it and have it be more accurate. Um, but the simplest of tools and the one that, that I utilize that's a simple tool is called YouTube Summary with ChatGPT. It's just a free plugin that takes the summary and feeds it into your ChatGPT account. But the difference between that and, um, and uh, Adafy is that Adafy has a button that says create a summary. You have to sign into it um, and create a summary. And... Um, the thing that's 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 kind of bizarre about that is that um, uh, it gives you three free ones a week, and also you can't do smaller videos um, unless you pay for a paid for account. So you get three free videos a week. They can be up to an hour. They have to be uh, uh, videos with views of thirty thousand or more, right? So um, so they just want you to, to to summarize big videos, I guess. Um, and it's really novel. It creates a summary of the video. In fact, I used it with a crash course history video last night, and it created, you know, a really good set of bullet points about the kind of a summary of the video. And then if you want to see the part of the video the summary refers to, you just click on, on the link, and it takes you right to that part of the video. So super cool tool, and it's also a really great learning tool because if you're utilizing YouTube as a learning tool, right, I'm thinking mostly of informal learning here, although obviously it would have incredible implications to a more formal learning environment, um, uh, uh, it would really allow you to process long videos really easily, right? And when we think about what's a good use, what's a, a quality use of these AI models, I can't think of a much better example I've seen than this. But here I am, um, and I'm going to use my third free one because uh, I've, I've used them twice so far. I'm just going to go to a random video here, and um, I'm going to – I will do Jimmy Kimmel's Live's monologue last night. I'm going to summarize the video. It's preparing the summary. Um, and it's going to tell me here in a second that um, – uh, there we go. Uh, the video covers a range of topics, including a book of letters from famous people thanking Trump for favors, Trump's discomfort with hey, it's all about Trump. But so um, um, uh, so this is all well and good. But if you want to do any video of any length, you got to pay five dollars a month or, or fifty dollars annually. Now, five dollars a month isn't a bad price for this. What I'm noticing is that if you want a wide variety of AI tools, I'm not talking about ChatGPT. I think that's worth the whatever I'm paying for in a month, 30 bucks or 25 bucks a month, mm -hmm. um, because I use it for an hour every day, right? And it probably saves me, um, you know, uh, I would say in the last week, calendar week, I've probably been seven or eight hours more productive because of it, right? It's helping me edit. It's helping me create outlines. It's helping me write tweets. And you know, it's all part of all the work I do in, in different ways, shape, or forms. It's really amazing. But I think we're going to run into a point really quickly here where you can't spend $400 a month on, you know, these seven AI tools. And I don't think most of these companies are going to survive the year, right? And I imagine that a lot of this is a cash grab to continue development in hopes of providing an economic model at some point that could get critical mass enough to the price could go down again. But I do think we need to be thinking about this notion that I hope someone out there is going to create a suite of tools, right? That it's, you know, seven, eight, nine, 15, 20 different application tools for chat GPT and other large language models that is worth $30 a month, right? And, you know, it, a lot of people I know that use chat GPT directly, like it's super cool and it's a really amazing tool. 
but that's the rawest available, right? Like it is literally going directly to the language model. And I'm not saying that there's ways that you can't use it uh, in that way very productively because I'm doing that. But that's where I'm starting to think this is going to start to get a little more complicated because, again, you know, I'm a, you know, a, 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 a compensated professional. Uh, computers are both a, a professional thing for me and a hobby. So I, you know, if I suddenly have 80, 90, $100 a month in, in AI tool payments, that's probably pretty reasonable for the time I'm getting out of it. It gets a little weirder if it starts to get into the two or $300 a month piece. Um, and I, I think that's going to limit application and learning too. So a lot of rambling for me. Your thoughts, Dr. Fryer? Well, a few weeks ago, it was possible to do this without any kind of payment. And it's interesting how tool, you know, the, the chat GPT has been, you know, kind of hobbled by Bing following Kevin Rose's, um, you know, virtual dating with Sydney. And that whole thing that we talked about, you know, from the Hard Fork podcast, yeah. um, you know, and then ChatGPT overall, maybe because of that, but I think it also is just a lot to do with utilization for 4.0, um, has some more limits on it in terms of what you can do. And you just can't throw a transcript for an entire, you know, an, you can't throw an unlimited text block, text block, like an entire um transcript in there. But there are ways to get around that as far as iteratively doing that. Um, yeah, Betsy's saying in the chat, uh, and hello, Betsy, um, that, you know, it's, it's hard for her to see, uh, spending school money at this point. So much is unknown, but the thing is so much is available for free. Right. And I'll, uh, reference, I think a a video in my, you could, no, I guess I'll shoot. Let's just do it now. Um, it's, I didn't put it under the geek (laughs) of the week. Um, it's amazing. This was, this came out just three days ago. Um, and I had not heard of this conference or this speaker, but, uh, Ethan Mollick, um, teaches at the Wharton school at, uh, I think the university of Pennsylvania or it's, it's at Wharton. Maybe that's part of the UPenn. I think it is. Cause that's, that's his address. Anyway, he does a lot of gamification with business, um, courses. And so this video, which was released on April 23rd is called AI required teaching in a new world. Uh, it was at an, it says an ASU plus GSV. So it was at some kind of a conference, but, um, yeah, I big, watched big and, conference. okay. I watched and listened to this this morning. Um, cause I'm kind of like do my little professional development, either podcast or sometimes a video. Um, it's kind of like a Ted talk. This is a 21 minute, but he requires his students to use AI and talk about the incredible productivity gains that they've had and the increased level of complexity of the kinds of assignments and projects that they're actually able to do because everyone is, is boosted by superpowers. One of the things he says is don't waste your money, you know, taking a course or something like that. Like there's a lot of things that as you play with chat GBT, you can iteratively figure out. Um, and so I'm pretty sure, well, I mean, some, someone actually tweeted us a link to a video that explained how to get around the limit on text size, uh, which I think is just basically by using a chunking tool and then putting the uh, summary in, you know, in multiple stages. So you're going to save yourself a couple of clicks, but I agree with you hundred percent. It is going to quickly become, you know, untenable to spend too much money on subscriptions for AI tools. Um, but on the other hand, I want to say I'm happy to see these things not just being advertisement and, you know, user data funded. I think that is a favorable development, but, you know, I think we want to continue to play with these tools and, and explore them, but, but probably also, um, you know, be cautious with how many of these things you're going to end up paying for at the end of the day. Yeah, the totally. the yep. I absolutely uh, could not agree more. So, um, so yeah, just a thought I was, I was, ta- I was, I was thinking about and, um, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's becoming increasingly clear to me that if you're not planning on what to do with this educationally, then you're just not taking this seriously enough, right? And and I do think that, that has to be a, a lot of 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 uh you know where where discussions in your schools and districts need to be right now. It's going to be super interesting to teach a web design course. Now I won't actually teach that until the spring next year, so I'll have a little bit more time even in the fall to consider what we're going to do, but. My school is very open to AI tools and, and chat GPT. 
um, our honor council for our high school has had several um, situations um, so far uh, that relate to, to that. It is going to be, I just, you know, we've said this before. It's, it's a game changer. I mean, being yeah. able to have this kind of access and not utilizing it is going to be comparatively like tying your hands behind your back when you're going to try to, you know, run or something, or do, I don't, I don't know what the, what the metaphor is, but you're, you know, we're, we're going to be, uh, com- I guess, I don't know. It's not all about competition, but we're, we're going to be living with a lot of folks who are utilizing these tools. And, you know, it's, um, I, I think that I'll have an opportunity to embrace it as a web design teacher at my school, but it's going to be interesting, right? Because sometimes we're, you know, my, my uh, statistics professor for my doctorate, you know, had us do, you know, um, I think we did ANCOVAs by hand. We, we did a bunch and we used the tables and, you know, and we were using SPSS, which is now a defunct software program, right? People have moved on to, to other kinds of software programs for statistical analysis, um, you know, in education, I think my, my hand is not in that world right now, but anyway, I think there'll be an opportunity to do that. So I'm, I wonder where, um, folks are aggregating sort of the, the trials of these different kinds of tools and what they're doing educationally with them. Surely there's going to be a SIG for ISTE about this, but it'll be interesting to see if TCEA or FETC or, or just any organization, um, it's going, and I know you're continuing to do your, your wakelet. Have you broken that out a little bit as far as tools I, versus articles, or is it all still just kind of in one? Well, place? it's all just articles and I haven't been keeping up because of the sheer volume of it, but that's exactly what I'm considering doing is that I am starting to bookmark, um, bookmark sites. And, and part of it is that, and I'm in the middle of a legislative session right now. And if you watch the national news, you know that the Montana has been embroiled in, in, in a couple controversies over the last uh, seven days. Um, but, uh, and, and so I don't, ha- I really don't have the time really, uh, 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 like I would otherwise to be able to kind of play around with these, but, you know, I, I am starting to, oh, I'm just going to, I just clicked on a video that I had bookmarked. Um, the, um, you know, there are, you know, dozens of, of, of tools that I've bookmarked as having, you know, potential benefit. And I think I'm going to put those into a wakelet at some point just to say things to play around with. But I'm just looking as an example of that pay piece. And, you know, obviously I went to Bard. I, 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 in fact, I stole them, I stole them as, as PWAs, progressive web apps, but ChatGPT, Google Bard. Um, I don't really use the Bing one all that much because it requires the, the Edge browser. And it's just not something I don't really spend much time in the edge browser except for a couple of uh, um, uh, kind of side use cases. But, um, you know, here's one called Shirley and this one is five dollars a month. And here's one called Humana. It's fifteen dollars a month. And here's one called AL Azize that is uh, five dollars a month. And here's Unriddle. Um, which is $16 a month. And here's Clad AI, which is $49 a month. Um, and here is, uh, insert chat GPT, which is a super cool, um, uh, um, uh, piece where you can create your own bot based on your training data. Um, and you can have up to five widgets for $15 a month. And, you know, again, I, I'm sure there's a lot of commercial applications from these narrow eyes tools, but, I just don't know yet. Uh, well, again, it's it's going to have to figure itself out, right? And you know, I am still a little shocked. I, I'm I'm still catching up with inflation, right? So when I see price tags of things, you know, airline tickets. Um, I uh, my wife and I did book a summer trip uh, to uh, Germany and Sweden this summer, which is something we wanted to do since pre-pandemic. We're going to go to the 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 um, midsummer or summer solstice festival uh, with our 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 we can call them family family in Sweden, um, and then we want to see a little bit of northern Germany too. And I'm still a little shocked at the price of the airline tickets. Um, you know, um, even though we'd saved up for this trip, and you know, I. I at the same time, though, like it is going to be the Wild West, and I imagine that a lot of these companies are developing these 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 different tools. It's a gold rush, and that's a little disappointing. Um, uh, as Betsy said in chat, I think she's correct that it's going to make these really problematic for schools. Um, and I haven't seen any real great K twelve focused tools yet. I'm not even talking about ones for teachers. There's a couple of those that are pretty great. Um, but you know, someone's going to have to figure out a student driven version of this. Right. And 
you know, someone's going to make a lot of money here, but I imagine the data privacy piece alone is just a nightmare. Well, but ChatGPT by itself, lots of thoughts. ChatGPT by itself is so powerful now in terms of just the, if, 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 if you're creative with your queries and there's a lot of people, you know, sharing, um, ideas and, and resources about that. Um, I, uh, I need to be using it. I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm paying for it, <laughs> but, um, I'm, I'm not using it, uh, every day or, or really, I probably haven't even used it every week. And so I need to, to be doing that. Couple thoughts. Number one, this reminds me a lot of the early days of Web 2.0, right? So around 2005, uh, you know, late 2000s, when all these different tools were exploding and blogs and it was the read, write web and the opportunity to be able to publish at will, uh, and, you know, lots and lots of tools and, I think these things don't really lend themselves as well to a quote book because of the permanency of the book, just how yeah. quickly the tools are going. If you resurrect your website um, at some point, um, I think that these kinds of things would be great blog posts yeah, I think in so. terms of being able to share those and then thinking about what you're going to amplify, you know, just being able to amplify those Um the other thought that I had, and I don't know, maybe that and I, we can propose this online. I wanted to do um, what has been termed an, an ed tech play date. I learned about this from Ginny Majera mm -hmm. uh, years ago, and it's just a time to come together and play with some tools. Um, and I run, ran into some local roadblocks <laughs> with uh, going ahead and hosting that and just, you know, lots of stuff you know, going on. So, but I thought about doing it online because you know, there's so many folks that are interested in this kind of thing. I saw Joyce Valenza do, well, actually maybe she was a participant just in a webinar um, that happened uh, recently. And, you know, it just having some folks who have played with this a little bit, sharing what they're doing and playing with, I don't know, maybe that's something uh, even you and I might um just do and say, Hey, if you want to, you know, come to this zoom, uh, play date on chat GPT. Um, I mean, I, I actually have a whole website set up for it and everything. I was just going to do it, you know, in Charlotte locally. And I still think there could be value in doing that. But anyway, I, I think, yes, it's going to be a gold rush. Yes. There's going to be a lot of tools, but honestly, and this is also going off that video I just shared from Ethan Moloch. There are so many incredible things that anyone can do right now for free with ChatGPT 3.5. You don't even have to pay for 4.0. It's freaking amazing. And so, yes, there are going to be issues in terms of, you know, student privacy. But, you know, the there's we just have to play with it. We've got to play with the tools. But I think it is valuable that that you're exploring these things. And And from a personal standpoint about our show, I mean, one of the things that does hold us up a little bit is, I mean, you know, when I, when I post the uh, the show, which we're a few weeks back behind now, uh, you know, I, I do try to have a summary. Um, and so I've been, you know, using chat GPT and then they change the, the rules a little bit. And, and so anyway, I, um, I'm interested well, in, in being things that would streamline that process because there is an extension that I downloaded, but it doesn't work now, uh, which just take the whole yeah. transcript and throws it in. But you right. know, that one doesn't work uh, now. Wes, do you buy mid journey? I am not paying for it yet, okay. but I'm considering it. <laughs> I am. And I'll tell you a little story that blows me away a little bit. Um, and this is part of why I do spend some time telling people that if they're not already doing it, um, um, they should make sure that they're researching all the available docs on a tool. But um, I recently figured out that um, um, I was not using MidJourney 5. So um, the that was the latest update. It happened three or four weeks ago. And I thought I was using it because I was getting good output. And then I, f I started playing around with some of the settings and realized that, that there were several... Um, there were several interesting, um, um, uh, several interesting uh, uh, settings that I had uh, not had an opportunity to play with yet, and they really changed the nature of, of the way that goes. And um, uh, and then I put it to to version five, and it is stunningly good. Like, and and here to just give an example of of some of the the things that I do. Um, 
I, 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 this is one of my strategies when I'm working on projects like this is I always have a Google Doc up in the background and I have four or five Google Docs that are, are my life basically, right? You know, one of them is full of just the you know, project information. I have one that I call, um, the cow, the compendium of wisdom, which is a term that I stole from a, an English teacher when we had a, a foreign state student here that I really liked. But, um, I, have just been blown away about how great the images are uh, that I can produce. And um, uh, it's, it's a little sad because I, I, I just, my mind goes wild with um, what my PowerPoints would have looked like. And, and I tend to be a very visual PowerPoint person. I, um, I am really much a, a student of um, the kind of minimalist Steve Jobs style PowerPoints, but I've created some images of Winston Churchill and Harry Truman and um, Thomas Jefferson and um, uh, uh, that have just blown me away. And there are all these tweaks you can make in, in mid journey and, you know, I, I'm paying for it. Um, uh, uh, so that I can get basically unlimited access to it. And it's just mind blowing. Here's the tool that I want. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of ignite presentations mm -hmm. and, you know, and yeah, presentations Zen and a Steve jobs influenced, you know, minimalist presentation, but this idea like Gar Reynolds talks about in presentations Zen, a full bleed images, minimal text, uh, really letting the images do a lot of the communication as you're giving a presentation. Well, how long is it going to be until we're going to be able to get a tool that's going to be able to listen to us live, just like a smart speaker, and then is going to be able to present visually images? Now, maybe you could have somebody gatekeep them and say, yes, I want that one. Yet, no, I don't. But maybe there's going to be a live version because I do this now. I mean, I did um, a series of wonder links for my uh, kids. I did this for my robotics class. I've got one section of robotics this semester. And um, and the, and I'll talk about this chipboard article here in a minute. Maybe we'll this will segue to it. But, you know, I, I needed my my opening question uh, was how much do you what's what, what do you think the likelihood is one to five of war with the China and the United States military conflict in the next 10 years? And so I referenced Chip Miller's book, Chip War, the fight for the world's most critical technology. Then I asked what semiconductors are. Here's a picture of semiconductors. Then I said, what do you know about Taiwan? Where's Taiwan? Taiwan's Wikipedia article. And then I said, what do you know about Huawei? Have you heard about them? Have you heard about them being banned? What, Huawei's Wikipedia article. And then I went to the Google News, you know, um, just link of, of, of Huawei ban articles. Then I linked to the podcast. And so I'll share that one now. This is an Ezra Klein, April 4th podcast. Now it was actually shared on, um, on uh, Hard Fork. Uh, they republished this one. Um, and so I thought they were going to do their own version. And so when they mentioned this, I went over and, and listened to the Ezra Klein one. And then that's actually what they uh, republished. But um, this is called The Most Amazing and Dangerous Technology in the World. Um, it's an interview that Ezra does with um, the author of the, the book on chip war, Chris Miller. Um, and then I shared just a little clip of the, what is the most amazing animated video I've ever seen. I shared this with you uh, last time it's just called, it's by Ray Dalio and he has a, a book also, uh, it's called principles for dealing with the changing world order. Um, and it is really, really a thought provoking video. So my, my, uh, question is when are we going to have tools that are going to facilitate this kind of sort of hyperlinked, but visual presentation, you know, because I, I didn't create a one tab. If you, if you all don't use one tab, it really is a great Google extension where you can have a whole series of tabs. You can collapse them, you can expand them, but you can also share a single link that has all of those, you know, kind of in a hot list. And that's one of the things as a presenter, cause I spend, you know, it's, it's been a while. So I don't, I don't do a lot of keynotes uh, nowadays, but you know, when I have, um, you know, I spend a fair number of hours putting all of those slides together. And now to think about mid journey being at my fingertips and yep. not just having to use unsplash or, uh, you know, I use a lot of openly licensed images. It is stunning. And I think that, you know, again, the, the tools are going to change and, and costs and all that, but being able to communicate ideas well and being able mm -hmm. to use images to support and 
you know, amplify the messages that you're sharing, I think is a very, very important skill. And so it's going to be really cool to see with conferences, what, you know, speakers will, will embrace uh, these kinds of things. And I think that we will see soon some kind of tool like that, that is going to be able to present uh, maybe even a visual wall. I don't remember the name of the tool, but there's, there's been some, some things before. Um, I don't know if it was with Flickr or with other things, but we kind of present you know, it wall, you know, an image, a, a wall of images and things like that. And just to consider how little the, the, the time savings that you might have. And then of course it could be perilous as well, especially if you're in a classroom, because, you know, things, you know, you better be careful what you say and talk about. And I, I wouldn't, I'd be very hesitant to want to turn something like that on live, but thinking about using a tool like that, a mid journey powered presentation creator. If, if that's not ex in existence right now, that is coming to um, a webpage near you soon. And I'm excited to hear about your experiments with MidJourney because I've only dabbled a little bit. Did you share the link the last week of comparing the Barack Obama and Donald Trump basketball? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I, sh I shared that with another one of my classes and that is so visually arresting to say that's a year, but for sure the velocity of change with these AI tools is stunning and when you visually see it, as you did in that article, and that's in last week's show notes, if, if you all want to go back to it, um, yeah, you make me excited to to give MidJourney <laughs> 5 a try and probably start paying. Thank you very much, yeah, Mr. Knight. Yeah, well, Dr. and, you know, uh, Dr. Ferrer's blog is called Speed, Speed of Creativity, and you want to talk about the speed of creativity it makes it makes the stuff that you based that title off of seem like you know it's 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 uh you know uh, a turtle slow right and the reality is once we figure out how to embrace this in a way that's safe and 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 productive it you know you think about divergent thinking right which is what we hope out of our students the ability to think fast to to think about way, something in ways that's non traditional these tools in, in in the hands of a, a creative a person, it's going to be truly stunning. Here's the a, a big new thought for me as a result of that Ethan Mollick AI required teaching in a new world video. You know, people have talked about the singularity, and this is the, the artificial general intelligence when these AIs exceed human capacity. Well, Moloch says we are already there because he defines that as when the future becomes absolutely impossible to predict. We are seeing these tools get so much better so quickly that I can say today that I do think we are going to see AGI soon, absolutely within our lifetimes, assuming something catastrophic doesn't happen to us in the next, you know, year or two. Uh, but like I, I do. And it was only in November when, uh, I think it's Christian Gibson, the, the open AI graduate of our school, and I'll be on a podcast with him, uh, coming up in May. You know, he, he shared that there were, uh, People in his, in his, uh, in open AI who were saying this would happen in 18 months, but he was more like five years. And I listened to that in November of 2022 and thought to myself, that is ridiculous. What kind of fairy tale land are these people living in? And then all of a sudden, ChatGPT is released and we start to play with these tools in mid-journey. And I, I believe we're going to be there. And I think it's really interesting to think about if we're there. Already, I mean, I don't think they're sentient and they're not ambulatory and they're not, you know, they're not taking over the world. But these computers absolutely, they already exceed our capacity, right? Because they've read far more than you or I ever will. You and I are not going to ingest the entire web, thankfully, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but we are going to, we are today, you know, bionically augmented by tools that have that's crazy yeah. and it's free every single teacher in the world with an internet connection you know i guess you have to have a phone maybe to verify your account but basically every teacher in the world today can um can access this we're switching to canvas as a school this summer so that's going to be our summer professional development but i would i would offer up that playing with ChatGPT and the mid journey and, and some of these other tools, 
that should be an important part of the professional development of every professional educator, uh, certainly the teaching middle and, and high school, but even others, because we're there's time save, you know, there's a there's a time saving factor, but then there's just also the the creativity augmentation factor. So I'm again always happy to be able to to chat with you because you know you encourage me to sometimes subscribe to new things and buy you know new <laughs> gifts for Christmas for myself, but other times it's just you know to spend some time playing with with some new technologies and tools. We all need catalysts to do that and. Um, Oh, actually, somebody uh, had tweeted. I think I might have shared it. Uh, I should probably get their Twitter to make sure I get the right. That we had mentioned Padlet. And so, let's see, I think I retweeted this on the EdTechSR channel. Um, they were playing with, uh, their kids have, have been playing with, um, with, with, with the AI uh, image generation in Padlet. And so, um, yeah, the Benfer Library, Benfer Poetry Share. I'll, I'll I'll give a link to it. So here's here's the Padlet that was inspired by the show. So yay, hey folks, look at that. Somebody is trying an AI tool because Jason and Wes talked about it. And so the kids wrote <laughs> lovely poems, and they then here are the Padlet generated images, which I also have gotten pretty good. I haven't I haven't visited this since December January probably. Wow. A lot there. <laughs> but it's good we're talking about AI because seriously, in the last couple of shows, or at least, you know, at least last one, I know we were like, well, let's not talk about it. And then we left ourselves like 10 minutes or 15 yeah. minutes. So. Well, I mean, let me let me do a, a couple other like AI quick hits here. Um, uh, and part of it is just, I just run into so many articles now. Um, uh, actually, I'm going to say there's, there is one about UC Berkeley's, uh, uh, AI policy. I actually want to say for next time, but, um, go, the, go for it. You go for the speed round. This is the, the Knifer AI speed round. Okay. So let me start with this one. Um, this one is from TechCrunch on April 26th. It's about how music is becoming, um, a kind of a complicated business with generative AI songs. And, um, you probably saw, if you're keeping track of this in the major news media, um, a deep fake song was released last week uh, with the voices of Drake and The Weeknd's, um, and it went, viral, it, went, it went viral and was uploaded to Spotify, and it had millions of listens um, before they figured out that it was AI-generated. Right. And I've seen several demos of this the last week or two where people are taking relatively rudimentary versions of these tools and creating some pretty cool stuff. And and I'll admit that part of the interest for me here is that I'm a big cover guy. Like, I love it when a really talented artist covers another piece of music that I love. And in fact, um, one of the things I love about having access to YouTube music, which I do because I have a, a YouTube premium subscription, is that I have about seven or eight playlists that are just full of you know, great covers. And they're not even necessarily by popular artists. In fact, I, I'm following a, a woman right now I, I, that I don't think she's even making music anymore on YouTube, but she has some incredibly uh, soulful, beautiful uh, uh, renditions of some 70s uh, uh, kind of soft rock, progressive rock songs that I just absolutely enamored with. And it's just relaxing and she's, it's just such a beautiful voice. But that's what's happening right now is that people are creating, um, uh, you know, basically covers with models of popular artist voices. And of course, this opens up Pandora's box of everything in relating to the creation of art, right? In the same way that visual artists have been uh, really skeptical about what what these generative AI tools mean to them, in the same way that writers are skeptical about what generative AI means to them, it's starting to you know create a, a, a kind of a, an interesting debate about what is fair use, what do royalties mean? And I don't remember the name of the artist, but some folks have said that... Um, that as long as they're, they can 
participate in the profits from that, they would be open to people using, you know, renditions of their voices as long as they're appropriately compensated for it. Um, and then also, uh, you know, not unlike when, you know, 15, 20 years ago, people were recording with recordings of artists that had long passed away, um, you know, and, and used a little bit of, of uh, kind of uh, uh, CGI of, of audio uh, to, to edit things. I think it's going to open up big old, um, uh, big old pieces that I think um, uh, uh, could end up uh, being interesting. Um. I would also share that uh, this is from yesterday's The Verge. Um, Open AI uh, will now let you turn off your chat history. Um, it will also allow you to opt out of utilizing your chats back and forth to help train the AI model. So one of the things that you may not know if you're a ChatGPT user is that they just don't train ChatGPT off the internet. They train it off of your interaction with it. So as an example of this, uh, one of the things I like to do with ChatGPT is have it edit my writing, right? And there's a lot of good ways you can do that from a straight rewrite to, you know, please rewrite this for clarity, please rewrite this for tone, or please rewrite this for... Uh, 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 you want more flowery language, you want more uh, persuasive language, you want less persuasive language, you want it to be less technical, you want to be more technical, you want to edit jargon uh, out of a document. And uh, all those, I think, are, are really interesting uses, but if you're putting your own stuff in there, and probably the, the, the most careful uh, warning I've heard about this is that if you're sharing proprietary information that's owned by someone other than yourself, so in other words, your company's proprietary information, um, you know, your information could end up getting sucked into the large language model, and then you may not see exact versions of it, but it's now going to inform kind of the Borg of the large language model. And so you can now opt out of that. You can also delete your history, um, and so it's no longer tracking your history. And you, the other thing you can do is download your data. So you can actually see a full accounting of everything you've done in ChatGPT, and I, I've done that. Uh, I, uh, this evening, um, actually downloaded my history, and it doesn't go back, I don't think, to the beginning, beginning of my time with ChatGPT, but it's everything there, right? And it's, it's. I'm sure that printed out, this has to be well over 500 pages, but um, it has every prompt I've put in, along with everything it's returned. Um, and, and again, super interesting stuff, but that's a, a welcome new uh, piece that I think is, is um, uh, uh, pretty interesting. And then... Um, let, me, let me do a quick hit. Uh, yeah, PC, PC Magazine, April 15th. Chinese company ditches human creatives for chat GPT style AI. Um, we've heard this is coming um, and it is coming, right? There's going to be some displacement, maybe a lot of displacement of, um, you know, white collar, uh, college educated, you know, creative class jobs. Um, and they, uh, Blue Focus Intelligent Communications Group, which is a Chinese company uh, is using chat GPT like generative AI models instead of external copywriters and graphic designers. So we're going to see more of that. And there's a PC mag article talking about how this is part of our landscape. And then a um, couple other the real brief ones. And then the, I, I kind of want to stop talking about AI. Um, Google has a reportedly, um, uh, uh, scheduled a release next month of an AI-powered search tool. Of course, this already exists in the marketplace because that's what uh, a AI-powered Edge does and the chatbot that's in um, the Edge browser that, that enhances Bing uh, is already available, and it's it's okay. I mean, I, 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 you know, I have access to it, and I would say it's an it's, it's interesting thing. Um, uh, I don't have a particular article on it this week, but if you go, if you want to really go down a rabbit hole, there's a lot of people that are very concerned that Google is giving up on a lot of its ethical uh, uh, promises that it was working on or ethical framework it was working on in regards to AI to try to become competitive after OpenAI kind of started eating their lunch there. But I, I am very interested to see what a, a, a an AI-enhanced Google search might look like. And so... Um, that's something that, um, 
you know, I'm super interested in seeing more of, and uh, I hope it leads to a, a good, good quality tool that can help um, inform and light and, and give uh, students and teachers alike and people, you know, good things to research. Did we talk about the 60 Minutes Google AI last time? I think we did. Okay. Uh, it's fantastic, but it is kind of propaganda for Google in terms of, of, of amplifying, you know, what BARD and, and Google's AI tools are going to do. I think the most exciting thing about that, <coughs> pardon me, is the, the idea of being able to use your own data, right? And being able to work with Gmail and work with Calendar and, and work with Docs and, and, and being able to, um, especially, you know, manipulate things like, like email. I need that so bad. So, but anyway, it's definitely worth seeing and it's about, well, it's well worth your time to watch and it's about 30 minutes long. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Shall we talk about some, you know, like old school, just tech stuff? <laughs> sure. Sure. I've got, I've got a, quite an article that's uh, kind of a shocker. Yeah. Do um, it. Okay. I put this down. Did I put it under miscellaneous or did I put it? Um, I think I put it under social media. Uh, wow. NBC News today, a 13-year-old was groomed publicly on Twitter and kidnapped even after his parents warned authorities. Yikes. There are so many aspects of this to break down. Um, yes, Twitter was used to publicly groom the 13-year-old, um, but Roblox as well as Discord um, were you know, platforms that, are, that figure into this as well. The police mistyped the address of the Twitter uh, account, which was which was of this person who's now been arrested um, after this really unfortunate and lamentable uh, sexual assault. And, you know, in the 20 days that it took for somebody to recognize, oh, we spelled this wrong or whatever, this this happened. So there were multiple opportunities where this could have uh, taken, you know, where this could have been stopped. But it just reminds of how important it is for us to be talking with parents, talking with grandparents, talking with any kind of guardians that tools like uh, web platforms, I guess, software programs. It is a website, but discord, um, an extremely, you know, dangerous platform in terms of people being able to gain individual messaging access. And this, I would encourage people to read the entire article, um, you know, it just, it really is the nightmare scenario of the young, you know, 13 year old boy who ends up being contacted by someone, ends up being, you know, sent pornography, you know, ha you know, encouraged to hide this, but then, you know, leaves it, leaves his house and the parent goes into the room and the, you know, the, the, the window is up and he's gone and it's cold and they, they, they know where he's, he's gone. And, it, and it's only an Amber alert, you know, that finally gets him after, after this assault has happened. So uh, it's really important folks that we talk with, Students, but also talking with, with, with parents and guardians and caregivers about these kinds of safety issues. And, um, you know, this also begs the question of whether Elon Musk firing all the people that he did at Twitter has crippled, you know, Twitter's capability to be able to respond to things like this, because this sort of thing, clear and present danger. Hey, we know that this person is, you know, trying to uh, get, get this child and, and they're not able to, respond in a timely way. And like I said, there was a law enforcement error as well, but terrible situation and something that um, you may not actually want to share directly with students. But I think if you have an opportunity to talk with, with parents, um, you know, Roblox, uh, Discord, but other things like Twitter, certainly Telegram, but you know, it, if you share your Discord ID, it's like you're giving your cell phone number away, right? And we wouldn't, we, we know, and generally students know we're not going to give away our cell phone number, but they may not think about, you know, their Discord handle. So. Totally. Okay. Um, let's talk some like, I don't know, like, again, old-fashioned tech news. Um, there's a really interesting article that came from a national... Actually, there were several uh, coverages of this. This is from The Verge. I'm under Google, by the way. Um, this is from The Verge um, on the 21st. Uh, Monica Chin, who I think does a lot of the Google work there, is excellent uh, coverage from The Verge, um, reported on a report uh, from the U.S. Public Interest Research Group um, that found that there was uh, that there's there's a problem growing in 2023, which is in 2020 schools bought a I don't know what the technical term is an S ton maybe of of Chromebooks uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of Chromebooks and what um, uh, the U.S. Uh, 
Public Interest Research Group Education Fund says in a report they call Chromebook Churn, that many of these batches are already beginning to break, which is potentially cost, costing districts money. And Perg uh, estimates that doubling the lifespan of Chromebook could re, of Chromebooks could result in 1.8 billion in savings for taxpayers, and also creates quite a bit of e-waste. And so the reason why I want to talk about this is that um, um, is that I, I I haven't read the report yet. I have downloaded the report. I haven't read it yet though. And I'm not sure if this is entirely a fair article from the standpoint that I don't think Chromebooks are the problem. I think cheap hardware is the problem, right? And I want to talk about this in two realms. The first one is that while I agree that Chromebooks, uh, you know, I, I think that, that Google could easily make Chromebooks 10-year supported devices, right? Like that's, that's something that, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. And in fact, the reason why I know that is because I own a 2013 Chromebook Pixel, um, that, uh, I bought used for a song five or six years ago. And it's actually my favorite keyboard I've ever used on a mobile device, including new Macs, which I have excellent keyboards on them. And, um, I installed Chromebook Flex on it and it is just as, as speedy and, and, and excellent as it was the day I bought it 10 years ago. So that tells me that, you know, with decent hardware, Chrome OS can run on a 10 year old device without breaking a sweat. But I think one of the problems we're running into is that cheap Chromebooks, right? Super plasticity, not very user updatable or at least user fixable. Uh, low resolution screens, certainly low end processors. Chrome OS can run on those devices, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a long lasting experience. And I do find it interesting and a little ironic that when we're buying Chromebooks for probably the hardest users on hardware, which are kids, right? That we just prefer cheaper. And then we wonder why they're not lasting for four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years, right? And so I, I want to say if you're buying the Windows equivalent of that, right? So uh, medium end, low end processor, two or four gigs of RAM, I don't think they're going to last much longer in the hands of kids either. Because if you're buying cheap plasticky stuff that you buy mass market, there's a pretty good chance that that's also going to round on as well. So I found, I felt like this report was a little unfair blaming on Chromebooks. I think the problem is low end hardware. One of the things that stuck in my mind in the early two thousands, when I was writing a grant for the Texas immersion pilot project and getting uh, teachers and students in Floyd data and post Texas laptops was that, the bottom line should not be how cheaply can this hardware manufacturer deliver these laptops to the loading dock in my school district. And, you know, Apple would talk about that um, because Apple devices tend to last. Our daughter right now, who's graduated high school and has just finished a prep school year, she is still, and she's ready to, so ready to change, but she's been using my 2011 MacBook Air. Yeah. And... It's still been working. Now, is it running Minecraft and other kinds of games, you know, wonderfully? No, it's not. And, but bless her heart, you know, she did, I did get her a, a brand new iPhone 11 Pro. It was like the one device. She's the third child, right? So she gets a lot of hand-me-downs. But the point is return on investment is key. And I agree with you a hundred percent. My previous school where uh, we opted to do uh, Chromebooks um, actually for all middle school students. And that's what got us through the pandemic, planning on a three-year refresh, right? Yeah. And that's just budgeting because that is pretty much what you need to do. The devices, and, and we were using Dell devices, which weren't, you know, super, super cheap, but they just weren't standing up to use and abuse in in the same way that, for instance, um, a, a, an Apple, you know, MacBook or, or iPad would, um, and then, and other kinds of hardware, because there's, as you, as you point out, there's other kinds of higher, higher end hardware. So, well, and, you know, I give you an example of that this is a 2010 Lenovo X201. And, um, the X series is one of my favorite windows laptops of all time. It's really a great thing. And I bought this for a song, 
uh, five or six years ago um, because I was looking for kind of a little project computer that I would use on Linux, and it's very popular with the nerd set. And the Lenovo fans are a, 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 a certain kind of nerd, um, and I happen to be uh, one of those. If I'm gonna have a Windows laptop, then I want it to be a Lenovo. And um, you know, this um, uh, you know, looking at um, um, the keyboard here, it's got the kind of famous, uh, like almost, uh, uh, desktop style keyboard, but this is a 13 year old laptop. Um, and I have Chrome OS flex working on it and it is as fast or faster than I do have a kind of a, you know, a, a really low end, um, uh, uh, this is a, a, a Chromebook that I bought at Target for like 60 bucks when it was on super sale. It is, um, uh, it's actually pretty good for a $60 laptop. Uh, uh, and, 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 and the reason why I picked it up is because I wanted to see what does a $60 Chromebook uh, look like. It's perfectly fine, right? But there's no way this thing becomes my primary driver, not just because of speed, but because it is super plasticky, right? Like it's not really a, a, a hardy piece of hardware. And I'm, you know, I'm not a kid, right? Uh, uh, and kids are hard on their Chromebooks. Uh, that, that's the bottom line. They get shoved into lockers. They get shoved into bags. They get dropped. They get thrown, you know, because kids are hard on stuff because they're kids. And so, you know, I, I honestly think if you're looking to, to, to do Chromebooks right now or next generation of Chromebooks, especially if you're in a state like Montana that regularly, uh, gives, uh, uh, old hardware to schools, I can go to our state hardware warehouse as a public school, uh, employee and pick up, like, uh, they don't even charge money for it. I can get, you know, four and five year old, you know, industrial commercial, um, high end, uh, laptops that, you know, are, that are past their four and five year refresh cycle, put Chrome OS flex on there, or even windows 10 or 11 for that matter, if it's, if it's new enough and it would be a much better experience. And if I went and bought the cheap, you know, mass produced Celeron processor, four gigabytes of Ram machines. So it's just something to think about. And, I get that it's complex, but, you know, these are the conversations. So many schools went one-to-one -one during the pandemic, and that's awesome because that access is great. But I hope we are, are discussing and thinking about ways that we can continue to refresh these machines, understanding that if you buy cheap, chances are it's just not going to last the, as long as you need them to. It's, I reflected with a colleague this morning that during the pandemic, I think a lot of um, a lot of people had their first experiences um, with emergency remote learning uh, with with maybe perhaps worse practice when it came to pedagogy and the kinds of instruction that can be delivered, you know, in a completely online environment. And I and it's unfortunate, too, that a lot of folks have had some negative experiences with one to one computing, you know, because the, the kids have, have had to use uh, a real baseline device. And, yeah, my wife's, you know, the Chromebooks that her kids have probably fall into some of that category as well. So it, it's lovely to have hardware that, uh, you know, is fast and robust and stands up to punishment and also, you know, has, has some features like styluses and touch screens and things like that. So hopefully we're going to continue to see, um, you know, price points be uh, aggressive in terms of, you know, being able to get a lot of bang for your buck for school, but we but we need to see the ROI, the return on investment, um, yeah. so that we're not you know having these devices trashed in, in three years. Yep, absolutely. And then one other quick Google article I'll do here. It's a really interesting article that I missed a couple of weeks ago, but uh, this is from Chrome Unboxed on April third. Google may stop forcing Android apps on Chromebooks out of the box. And one of the criticisms I've seen of Chrome OS Flex, which I have installed on a couple of machines including a wonderful Dell desktop machine that's five or six years old, but it's a really speedy, um, uh, like, desktop Chrome OS experience, is that you don't get to use Android apps. And I'll tell you, I'm not sure if there are, are, are as, uh, uh, as ma very many people like me that are essentially Chrome OS power users, and I would be perfectly happy uh, staying on a Chrome OS uh, a desktop or laptop, assuming that they have enough guts behind it, but I don't really use Android apps. And 
Um, Google keeps finding more ways of helping you use the web in more nuanced ways. Progressive web apps is a good example of that. I use tons of progressive web apps in a very nuanced way. And living in Chrome world or living the Chrome OS life means relying, you know, pretty exclusively on the web. So, uh, again, um, I, I, it's just so interesting watching Chrome OS evolve over time. And it, 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 at one point I was super excited about Android apps and I just never really utilized them in a way that, that, that has really changed the way I think about computing or think about the way I'm productive. Here's a quick Apple article. And then we probably should geek of the week it. Uh, this is nine to five Mac. Um, two days ago on April 14th, iPhone 14's emergency SOS via satellite saves the day for Utah college kids trapped in a 500 foot deep Canyon. So if you were depressed by the last article about a Utah student, here's some good ones. Uh, these were college students and they were, um, hiking in some really, really, um, aggressive, uh, they're from BYU, uh, uh, canyons and like <clears throat> one of them, like they they got stuck and one of them started to develop hypothermia when they were, you know, stuck in the water that was up to chest level and all this. And so anyway, if you're not familiar, the iPhone 14, um, will detect satellites and you can, you know, point it up and, and send messages. And so they're able to text, get their location. They're able to send in the helicopter, helicopter, the kids out. That is the, well, of course, who, who knows what that bill was for those helicopters, but <laughs> they are safe. And that is the first article I've seen like that about the iPhone, the iPhone 14's direct satellite connectivity, literally saving the day and enabling folks to emerge from a life threatening situation. So kudos, Apple. Good technology. <laughs> Excellent. Well, sir, um, it looks like we're at the top of the hour. Man, these hours have been going quick lately. I think it's because we uh, perhaps enjoy talking about the tech. Where? Oh, no. What's your geek of the week? Okay, real quick. Uh, Scratch Day is coming up. Uh, I, by myself, and then with Shelly, have done some things in the past for Scratch Day. It's coming up in May. It's May 13th. Um, and so, anyway, whether you're going to get together and do something, sponsor an event, there's all kinds of great activities that are around Scratch Day. Um, and that is... Um, a wonderful way to, to promote computational thinking and coding and the kinds of 21st century literacy skills we need uh, everyone to have. And then my second one came from a webinar last night that I attended by uh, Mike, well, that Mike Caulfield was a speaker on. This was uh, for Misinformation Day out of the University of Washington. And I don't know if, if you've seen this, Jason, when you do a Google search, um, there are now three dots beside the source and you can click on that and you're going to get some information kind of like a little bit of a lateral read just right away about the source. And so that's kind of a, a cool oh. way to, you know, who, I don't know what that is. What source is that? Um, and so that uh, I, I gave a Mastodon thread uh, on that that kind of has a screenshot and shows that. So cool search tip and media literacy tip from Disinformation Day, University of Washington, up in your neck of the woods. How about you, Dr. Knife, or what's your Geek of the Week? Well, I mentioned this a little bit earlier this year, but we, we've opened up registration. Uh, Montana Digital Academy, which is my day job, um, is going to be running an innovation symposium in July at the University of Montana. It's called Innovation Runs Through It. Um, it is the second week of July, and um, it's the start, we hope, of something big over time. And it does have a technology focus in that we're going to be talking about things that, that are kind of tech-driven and how it might impact the world of education, but uh, we're trying to keep costs as low as possible. Um, it's in Western Montana, um, and we're really focusing on kind of big picture uh, things in a teacher-friendly way um, to, to not just, you know, be exposed to different ways about thinking about teaching and learning, but really practical things that you can bring back to your classroom to do right away without having to um, uh, you know, uh, get too deep into it too quickly. So it's from July 11th to 13th. InnovationRunsThroughIt.com is the website. Uh, and we'll be focusing on proficiency-based education. Uh, we're going to do some sessions on AI. We're going to talk about how you can take online and blended learning uh, strategies and theories and use them in your face-to-face -face classroom or online classroom. And also about the incredible EdReady tool that's a proficiency-based uh, readiness tool that that uh, 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 Montana Academy delivers through generous support of the Washington Foundation um, to the state of Montana. So if you're interested in being in our inaugural event, uh, we're really looking forward to a nice, relaxed couple of days um, in Western Montana. Innovation runs through it.com. 
And I can say that is a fantastic college of education and a beautiful venue, having been up yes. there a few times. I don't think Willie Nelson will be coming back for a concert no. in the park this year. But well, I'm, although um, I now I'm kind of remember who is the the artist. There is like some '90s bands that are doing something in one of the amphitheaters uh, at the end of that week, and we just got tickets. Big Head, Todd and the Monsters, and um, uh, one other band is going to be in in the the um, the uh, Kettle House Amphitheater in in uh east missoula so we're pretty excited about that too wow and peggy just said uh that i guess i shared the wrong time for our show uh and so she wasn't able to get here at the start so apologies for that i did not intend to do that at all so i was trying to share that early but you would you would think i wouldn't be time time zone (laughs) confused but it still happens so all right well we are exceeding 60 minutes, but yeah. that's okay. That's all right. Well, Everybody, you're getting more than your money's worth tonight. Dr. Fryer, where can people find you on the internet? Westfryer.com slash after, still on Twitter at WFryer and on Mastodon.cloud at WFryer as well. How about you? Um, I'm still on Twitter, although next week I'd love to talk about the shocking price they're charging organizations to get a check mark um, on on Twitter. Uh, so I'm there at TechSavvyTeach. I'm, I'm on Mastodon at knife at mastodon.cloud and um on the excellent advice of, of my good friend dr fryer i'm going to try to get a web presence back up uh i didn't really have a reason for it uh in the last couple of years but uh for a variety of reasons um um i'm gonna start doing that again so but hey it's it's not just about us it's the ed tech situation when we're a once a week podcast on wednesday nights at 7 p.m mountain time 9 p.m eastern time uh, we'd love it if you join us live. We're available on YouTube. We also broadcast over Facebook. You can see the archives at YouTube. If you don't want to see us live, you can always download the podcast via your favorite podcast aggregator. In fact, every new podcast app I try has EdTechSR on it. And even if you don't want to do that, you can go to our website, EdTechSR.com, download a tiny MP3, or check out the links from this week's show. We hope you have a wonderful week. Stay safe, stay savvy, and we will see you next time at the Etech Situation Room. Good night, friends. Good night.